How's that? Can you hear me? Well, good morning. Can I uh, welcome you all this morning? So good to be here and to, to worship God. We are, we've just started a new uh, preaching series that will take us through to December. So today we're continuing our study in 1 Peter, and we're in the uh, second half of chapter 1. Before we turn to the passage, however, I probably ought to answer the obvious question that you're all asking right now. Why am I wearing a life preserver? I'm under uh, strict instructions from Mark and Julie, who I've borrowed this from, not to pull a certain red toggle here, or this thing is going to explode like an airbag. Um, but I'm not wearing this because it's a little bit rainy outside. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a visual aid to try and remind you of what 1 Peter is about, uh, particularly what this second half of chapter 1 is all about. If you've ever travelled by plane or ship, then the journey usually starts with a safety announcement. The ship's crew will tell you where the lifeboats are. Uh, the cabin crew uh, will assure you that in the event of an emergency, oxygen masks will drop from the ceiling. They point out that the emergency exits are on either side of the room. And uh, the truth is we don't really pay that much attention to those announcements. Because in our heart of hearts, we know that travel is inherently safe. We're, we're unlikely to need the lifeboats. We're not expecting the oxygen masks to drop down from the ceiling. And so we settle back in our seats and flick through the in-flight magazine. If, however, there was a very real possibility that our ship would run into a storm, that the plane would experience engine problems, then of course we might reconsider our travel plans, but given the fact that we have to travel, we'd probably pay more attention to the safety briefing, because our life could well depend on knowing certain things. You see, at its heart, 1 Peter is a safety briefing for Christians to inform them of things that they need to know, what steps they need to take if their Christian walk runs into storms or hits turbulence. Well, let me put it more directly. Peter is saying, this is what you need to know if you face persecution. You see, we here in the Western Church in the 2020s make up a somewhat unusual group of Christians. We have a fairly safe existence. You didn't face too many difficulties in getting here this morning. You might have had to uh, navigate a few more puddles out there. You might have had the, the normal problems of trying to get kids up and dressed and out to church on time. But apart from that, that was probably the only difficulty you went through. Imagine for a moment as you drove in to the car park or walked in through the front door, there was a uniformed officer at the front there making a note of your name, taking a photograph of your car registration number to build a case against you. 
What if part of being a Christian community would jeopardise a potential promotion at work? What if being part of a Christian community would cost you your job, your home, your family, your life? As Danny pointed out last week, in one in four countries in the world, in 25% of the countries in the world, a meeting like this is illegal. A meeting of Christians like this is illegal. We don't face that. We've no experience of that. How would we cope if that was what we faced? You see, these are really serious questions, and we don't ask them because that's not our experience. But for most Christians throughout the world and throughout history, that is what they have wrestled with and struggled with and sought answers for. Peter addresses his letter, this letter, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontia, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. These are people living in different lands, not through choice, but because they've had to flee through persecution that had risen up against the Christians. And Paul is writing to them with vital instructions. So let us turn to the passage, starting at chapter 1 and verse 13. In the event of an emergency, oxygen masks may not drop from the ceiling. But nevertheless, this is what you should do and what you should know. 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through it this morning. I pray that you give us receptive hearts, open minds, that we might grow into the people 
that you want us to be. Amen. <clears throat> and then I'm going to take this off now. I think I've made my point. I'm in dire danger of pulling the wrong toggle or pressing the wrong button or exploding, which would be hilarious to have on film forevermore. So, uh, Dan, thank you. Thank you, Mark and Julie, for the loan of that visual aid there. Uh, as I said earlier, Peter addresses his letter to God's elect exiles throughout the provinces of Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They're facing persecution and may well be asking, where is God in all of this? Why is this happening? What do we do? Peter knows full well their circumstances because he says right at the beginning in verse 6, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And we too might well be asking such questions. Where is a loving God in the midst of what I'm going through? Where is a loving God in the midst of the persecution that I've faced that has caused me perhaps to flee my country of birth? Where is a loving God in all of this? How do I respond? How do I react? How do I stay true to that? Well, this passage, this safety announcement calls out four things that we and they need to hold on to. Four things that make the difference between standing in the face of opposition or falling. Firstly, in verse 17, Peter says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Some of the people that Peter was writing to had had to flee to Pontius or Galatia or those other provinces. But, but Peter is not saying, hey, guys, you're in a foreign land now. This is tough. No, no, what he's saying is, ever since you became a Christian, your attitude should be that of living in a foreign land, in a strange environment. He's saying to people, if you were born in Jerusalem and never had to flee then you're still a foreigner in a strange land. For those of us, myself included, whose only experience of foreign lands is a two-week holiday, I'm called to live out my life as if I was a foreigner in this country. This country is not my home. Peter encourages his readers that are facing really difficult circumstances with the truth that their home is elsewhere, beyond the current sufferings and the hardship. And when trouble or persecution strike, the, the oxygen mask that drops and that we need to hold on to is the knowledge that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. It's a remarkable truth to hold on to, but a vital truth. Uh, and it comes up again and again and again in Jesus' teaching. Not, not necessarily about persecution, but about the sheer transience of our time here. About the sheer shortness of our time on this earth. About how that should be, frankly, the last thing that we worry about. Now, I know, I know that, that, that's so easy to say, and so hard to put into practice. But these are the words that we need to hold on to. Time and time again, Jesus just puts things in perspective and says, what you're doing here is so short. A parable from Luke and a, 
uh, he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man bought forth plentifully. And he thought with himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room in which to store my fruits. And he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And I will store all my fruits and all my goods there. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Who shall be those things that you have prepared? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's in Luke chapter 12, if you want to read that, remind yourself of that afterwards. As Christians, or indeed as non-Christians, we are only here for a short while in the time scale of eternity. Just a blink of an eye. And we become so concerned with what we have or what we don't have. Hey, we're just passing through. If I can stick with my uh, travel analogy, I was uh, watching a clip the other day that had gone viral of, uh, um, you know, the ever-diminishing story of baggage allowances on budget airlines. I saw this clip of a guy with this suitcase uh, trying to squeeze into the rack that, that shows you what, what the, the airline will allow on the plane. And he was trying to pound this suitcase in that was clearly too big for his baggage allowance, but, but he was going to do his best to squish it and squash it and pound it in and say, yes, I can take this with me. Brothers and sisters, when we go to heaven, there's no rack at the front of heaven where our suitcase fits into. There's no baggage allowance. We can't take anything with us. Paul reminds his readers that we're here for just a short while. We need to constantly remind ourselves of this. That this, this comes up again and again in this passage. In verse, uh, in verse uh, 23 to 25, uh, um, Peter quotes from Isaiah saying, All people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Where's our, where's our priorities? Where's our thoughts? Live out your time here as foreigners. This world is not our home. It's perishing, passing away. But God and Christ are eternal. In verse 20, he, Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world. But if this is the reality of who we are, foreigners in a strange land, how then should we act in light of this? The safety announcement continues. And can I point you back a couple of verses to the beginning of the passage? Because secondly, in verse, right at the beginning of what I read in verse 13, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. How do we live in this strange world that, that every day seems to become stranger still? Uh, with standards that jar with our standards. This world and culture 
that promotes and accepts that which we know to be wrong. This world that rejects the clear principles that God has given us as old-fashioned and irrelevant. This world that holds to values that are the very opposite of what we believe in. How do we react to that? Well, there's some strong phrases in this passage. Be fully alert and sober. Do not conform to the evil desires you had. Be holy. Rid yourself of all of that which is not God. Now, I am so aware at this point that I'm speaking into a situation that I have no practical experience of. I have no practical experience of being persecuted for my faith. But we do have folks among us, our Iranian brothers, folks from El Salvador, folks from Ukraine that have had to flee uh, their country, that really have seen persecution uh, to a level that, that I can only theorise about. So I, I'm so aware that I'm, I, I'm preaching not out of my experience. But I think it would be so easy to respond to injustice with anger, with hatred, with a desire to hit back at that which is hitting me, to respond, to give like for like, if you like. But the word of God says, no, that's not what you're called to do. Uh, be alert, be fully sober. I, I think of the passage of Jesus in the Gospels before his accusers. And then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. And I like the comment from Charles Spurgeon on this passage. He said, his was the silence of patience, not indifference, of courage, not of cowardice. Could I respond in such a way? Could I respond in such a way? I don't know. I don't know how I would respond. But I know that I have here the template, the model, the pattern of how I should behave. As foreigners in a strange land, we're called upon to remain calm and sober, even in the midst of injustice, even when... Uh, it doesn't seem right. We're called upon to obey the laws of the land unless they fundamentally contradict with God's words and God's laws. As Jesus so wisely responded uh, when asked if his followers should pay taxes, and Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. We do not repay anger with anger as much as we might want to. We remain obedient even when the laws of the land we live in seek to be turned against us. These, these are important points in this safety announcement. These are important things we need to know when the ship and the plane of our life hit turbulence and hit difficulty. Uh, a verse that seems to be already very prevalent in this one Peter series is 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, we're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. But I do like this phrase, certainly in my translation there, be alert and fully sober. That, that, that somehow seems to resonate with me. I like that verse. And when I read it, 
my mind actually isn't drawn to a Bible passage, but it's actually drawn to a poem by Rudyard Kipling that many of you may well know. There should be a small bit of it uh, up there. But it says, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired of waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, yours is the earth and everything in it. There's a lot more to that poem. You can Google that yourself. There's probably a few characteristics in there that we probably wouldn't say are terribly Christian when you read on in that, but, but it almost resonates with me as something that kind of ought to be in the Bible. It's the sort of thing that, that Paul or Peter could have said and it just strikes me of this, and, and I think it goes beyond this just calm English demeanour. Obviously, that, that's, that's part of our sort of national heritage. That's, that's a very British response to things, isn't it? But I think it's more than that. I think whatever your, your country of birth, whatever your culture, whatever your characteristic, there's something very profound in responding in that way, even when you face injustice. With all the uncertainty we face as Christians, even the persecution we face, we're still called to a high standard of living. While living in a strange land, holding onto values in the midst of persecution, this can all be very challenging. These are hard things to give. Safety announcements ultimately are not joyful announcements. They're there for when the bad stuff happens, what do you do? This is not always good news. But there are some things that do help us, and Peter specifically calls out a couple next that can help us, because this safety briefing continues. Thirdly, whatever we may face, we do not face alone, because we're part of a family who stand with us. It says in 1 Peter, verse, uh, 1, Peter 1, verse 22, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. And when I say that, that, that we're part of a family, that we have someone with us, I don't just mean we have God with us, although that's, that's obviously true. We'll come back to that in a minute. But firstly, we have brothers and sisters who will stand with us in times of difficulty. Peter is not talking to an individual. He's talking to a group of people. This letter was addressed to a whole group of people. It wasn't addressed to Joe Bloggs in Pontius. It was addressed to the believers. Now, in the English language, our pronoun you can apply to one person. Danny, you are a great fellow. Or it can apply to many. You guys are all great. We only have the one word in English. Now, other languages have two words for whether you're talking to one person or many. English is the poorer in the sense there's just the one pronoun. So we can sometimes miss some of the strength of this. We can think, oh, here's a word Peter is saying to a person. Oh, you have this or you have that. 
No, Peter is talking to a group here. And uh, just, they, they won't be on the screen here, but I'm just going to call these out because there's too many of them. But the number of times the word you, you as a group, is used in this passage. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You call upon a father. You live out your lives. You know that it is not with perishable things you are redeemed. Christ was revealed for your sake. Through him you believe in God. You have been purified. You have been born again. This word was preached to you. Rid yourself of all malice. Guys in small groups, if, if, if I can throw in a little bit of homework, if I can throw in a little question for you to try in your small group, read that passage on Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday when you have your small group and call out all the yous in there. The unity, the groupness, the oneness. Peter is saying, you are people who stand together. You have this in common. I probably missed out a whole load there. That's why you need to go through that passage. You need to go through that passage again and find them all. But they just jump out. We hold on to these truths. It, it can be so easy in times of difficulty to feel that we're the only one facing that. Nobody else knows what I'm going through. Nobody else has experienced my circumstances. Well, that's, that's not true. There's usually someone that has been on the same journey and can come with you and pray with you. And again, we want to leave time at the end tonight. If you're facing difficulties this morning, if you're feeling alone, then there are folks that will stand with you and pray with you. You have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. And yes, of course, we have Christ with us. Praise God for the support we get from one another. But ultimately, Christ himself is our role model. The one we should look to when we feel that even our Christians and brothers and sisters don't understand what I'm going through. Even in those instances, Jesus is there. God is there and knows what I'm going through. When Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, he identified with all those who are homeless or have lost their homes. When Jesus is declared innocent by Pilate, yet still crucified, he identifies with all those who've been wrongly accused. When everyone he trusted deserted him, he identifies with those who feel alone and forgotten. We're all fallible human beings. We will all probably let one another down at some time or another. But we do have one who is sure and steadfast, one who has endured the cross and the pain and the suffering so that, he, so that ultimately we can say we're not alone, or he can say to us, you're not alone. I love the sense of family that we have here. I do love the sense of family we have here, of people that will stand with us in times of trouble. Have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. That's a measure of what we are as a community here. That's a defining characteristic that we should always hold on to and rejoice in. And if I can say it in the right way, be proud of. We have a sincere love for one another. 
Lastly, let me turn you to perhaps the most important part of this safety briefing. We are living as foreigners in a strange land. We're called to a high standard of living. We have one another who will stand with us. But fourthly, the truths we believe in are eternal and unchanging. As we go through difficult times, as those early Christians that Peter is writing to face into their exile, it can be easy to think that all has changed, all has gone. There's nothing left to cling to. Uh, I so like the, the passage uh, of, of the disciples on the road to Emmaus just after Jesus has been crucified. And they're talking together and just struggling with the events, not, not understanding what it's all about. There's just this sense of loss, this sense of hopelessness that all they believed in had come to an end. And as, if you know the story, Jesus comes and walks with them and uh, he, he's hidden from them. They don't recognize him at first. And he just teases out from them, you know, why are you guys sad? What's going on? Like, don't you know the news? The one who was the saviour of the world has been crucified. All we'd hoped for, all we'd expected, all we'd trusted in has come crumbling down. Are you like that this morning? Let's be honest. Has all you trusted in seemed to be crumbling around you? And Jesus revealed himself to them. And I love the, the, just the change of heart, the change of attitude, the way that they could rejoice afterwards. But he opened up truth to them. He said, look, this is what has been unchanging. There's a great verse. I, I think the verse that this passage swings on is verse 18. If I was to say, what is the second half of 1 Peter all about? I'd say, go to verse 18. It says simply there, you know. You know. Peter's not saying I've got some new information for you. Peter's not saying, hey, I've got a revelation for you. That would be great if Peter said, hey, guys, in Pontius, I've got a revelation from God for you. No, Peter's not saying, I've got some new news for you, as great as that might be. He says, you know. You know. We are not redeemed with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Jesus. This is stuff that I've just pulled out of this passage. You know he was chosen before the creation of the world. You know he was revealed in these days for your sake. You know God raised him from the dead and glorified him so that we might have a sure and certain faith and hope. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel here in this second part of this chapter. Peter's reminding them of truths that they know. He said, you know this. When the plane goes down, when the ship hits the storm, when the oxygen mask drops down, the spiritual oxygen mask is simply, you know. Grab hold of that. Take a deep breath. You know. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. I said at the beginning, 
We don't face persecution in this country. I don't know what that would be like. I don't know what that would be like. But imagine, like some of our brothers in China, if we were to walk out of this building, if you were to walk out of this building this morning and be arrested for your faith and put into solitary confinement and not have anyone be allowed to visit you and not even have a Bible and be told that you were going into solitary confinement for 10 years. That's probably generous in regard to some of our brothers and sisters overseas. But let's say 10 years in solitary confinement with no visitation rights, with no Bible. Would you, at the end of that, come out a stronger Christian than you went in? We can't answer that question here in the West in 2022. We can't answer that question. But think about it. Would you be stronger? What would you need to know for that to happen? Well, these are the truths here. These unchanging, these unending truths. When the storm hits, when the engines fail, we know. The last time I boarded a plane and listened to that safety announcement and was told that my life jacket was under my seat, I didn't actually check. I kind of trusted the fact that it was there. You see, God's word is true. You see, what brings us through times of trouble as Christians, what brings us through difficulties? Well, actually, I think it's two things. It's trusting in the unchanging word of God. I don't need to check under to the seat to know that it's there. But when the plane does go down, when the ship does start to sink, I need to put on my life preserver. It's over there now. If the ship goes down, I'm going to have to put it on. I can admire it from afar. It's a lovely looking life preserver. I, when it explodes, is it fluorescent orange? Is it, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, it's sort of a dull black at the moment, but I guess that, that when it explodes, it will be kind of fluorescent orange. It will be very visible. But, but I can admire it from far. It's, it's a very, I'm told it's a very sort of, you know, expensive professional life preserver. It's a very, you know, I, I'm sure if I got the catalogue, I could tell you loads of, I'm sure Mark and Julie could tell you loads of characteristics about that life preserver. They could do how much it cost. I'm sure there's some uh, standard that it has to comply to in terms of inflation time. I could tell you so, or Mark and Julie could tell you so much about it. It's not going to help you unless you put it on. You see, when our lives hit trouble, the question is, are we going to say, oh, gee, I know a lot about Jesus. I know lots of verses in the Bible. Well, that, that's a good thing. But are you living them? Do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? That's the difference. At the risk of oversimplifying an incredibly difficult subject, we do unfortunately know people who for whatever reason seem to have drifted away from the faith. Not necessarily through persecution. Perhaps we could even understand that. But we know people who used to walk with us and 
Now don't, and I say that's a tough subject for another time, but I think part of the reason that happens is because although the life jacket was there, when the problems hit, they didn't put it on. And we have a faithful and a trusting God who even now is casting that life ring into the water saying, cling on to this. Let me pull you to safety. Let me pull you to safety. Take this. It will save your life. This morning, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, there's a life jacket that is being thrown out. King of kings, the Lord of lords is saying, take this. It will save you from the storm. If you're a Christian this morning, going through difficulties, going through hardship, going through persecution, saying, I'm not sure I can cope with this. Then God says, take this. Cling to this. Hold to these truths. This will save you. In the event of an emergency in your Christian walk, if the ship seems to be sinking, if the plane seems to be falling from the sky, as I said before, oxygen masks are probably not going to drop from the ceiling. But what will ensure that we come through safe at the end is the knowledge that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. That we can God's grace remain alert and sober and calm because we have one who demonstrated those very characteristics. We have brothers and sisters who will stand with us in our difficult circumstances. And we have unchanging and eternal truths that in times of trouble we need to cling to. As we've talked about this passage and indeed this book that talks about being a holy people and a holy house in the midst of an unholy world, then it's an obvious point to make that there, there must be people here this morning that are struggling. Uh, Anna, would you and the guys like to come back? It would be good, I think, if we've got time just to, just to pray for one another. Um, if you want to come to the front, if you just feel, look, look, something in that has really resonated with me. Uh, there, there was a word earlier about uh, God calling people to be fishers. If you feel God is speaking to you this morning about ministry, about a role, about something that you want to put right, then we're just going to go back into worship for just 10 minutes. If you feel you want uh, prayer, then, then please come to the front. If you feel that uh, you, you don't want to do that, but you just want, to, you want someone to pray with you, then just, just move around, just find someone that, that you want to that you trust, you know, can pray with you, that you can share. But we can be family together. If you don't know Jesus this morning as your Lord and Saviour, if you don't know Jesus this morning as your Lord and Saviour, then you very really are on a sinking ship with no life jacket on. Can I plead with you to put that life jacket on, to seek out someone and say, hey, I, I need to know this Jesus that you've been talking about. You can come and talk to me, to Steve, to Danny, to anyone else that you trust, if that's the position that you're in this morning. Let's just move back into a time of worship, but let's use this time not just to sing songs, but to meet with one another, to meet with God, to pray with one another, to be family together.
Let's just sing about the gospel message that Jesus sets us free through his blood shed on the cross for us. <laughs> 